This is Stacey Hillier, and you are listening to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode in the collection of Revival Reflections. And we've got a fave back. We've got one of our best guests ever. So the listeners have told me, most of those (laughs) listeners with the surname Field, but also I am a massive fan of Joel Field. What? what? Stacey Hillier. Welcome back, Joel. Having me back. You're a glutton for punishment. No, I love it. It's weird to call each other by first and last name. Hey, we should just do it for a while. I reckon. Yeah, or even just do it the British way and just do last name. Just call you Hillier. Yeah. Right, field. I've got many people who call me just by my last name. Oh yeah. Which is interesting because in high school I was also known by my last name and that was Mackenzie. So it was like, Mackenzie, what are you doing? So there now it's go. different to be like Hillier. But let's go with it. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Love that for us. What am I doing? Lord, tell me what am I doing? So today, Joel, composer, worshipper, producer of instrumental worship. I'm going to open a door for you that I give you full permission to run right on through. Got any spoilers about instrumental music? There are some uh, some spoilers, I suppose, to give away in that, yeah, <laughs> we're, we've got early conversations happening about the uh-huh. next Nima Worship instrumental album that mm-hmm. w- it looks like we're looking to release early next year sometime. Um, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. For it's exciting. Let's yes. hope it moves beyond the early conversation stage. Indeed. Listeners Indeed. be praying. Saints pray. So today, Joel, we're actually going to talk about a really breakthrough moment for us as a church, for mm-hmm. me individually. I know for you, for our worship team, and I believe actually an invitation before the church in this season, the breaking of fear of man and oh, the yes. laying down of performance. A small topic for us today. Track one and two on the new instrumental album, Break, (laughs) Fear of Man. Track one, break two, get down performance. (laughs) Stand up on your chairs, track four. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Well, actually, now you say it, let's talk about we Mm. had this really pivotal moment where Pastor Ben Fitzgerald was ministering and actually delivering people from fear of man Yes, Mm. Christians were getting delivered. Yes. And I'm actually going to put a link to that message in the show notes because it is life-changing. What do you remember most about that moment? Well, yeah, as I've already said, I think one of the enduring images that will stay with me is seeing people stand up on their chairs in church, um, (laughs) in a service, and just people, the last people as well that you would expect (laughs) in the sense like the quiet people, the, you know, never ruffle any feathers kind of people uh, standing up on their chairs and like yelling at the top of their lungs as fear of man just exited the building and exited people's lives. It was it was quite a sight to behold, that's for sure. It's always the quiet ones, I reckon. Mm. Us loud ones, we're safe. It's always the quiet ones. Yes, that was such a beautiful moment, wasn't it? Just seeing mm-hmm. people... Um, receive their freedom from the Lord, have their William Wallace moment, William Wallace moment. William Wallace. So our team actually had to grow a lot in this season, hey, because we've gone in 
four short years from run sheets, which that was a beautiful season, served us very well, that mm-hmm. had precise track timings on all four songs, like to the second. And now we're more in this space where, you know, we might feel like the Lord's on a couple of songs, but then we've got these magic buttons on our microphones where we can talk to one another and <laughs> be like, deep. we're going here. I feel like this. I feel like that. I think yeah. the Lord's moving this way. And so it's really changed a lot how we even structure a set list. Do you want to share with everybody what that looks like now? And then they'll start praying for our team. Indeed. Intercede. (laughs) Yeah. So structure is uh, kind of a misnomer as well. It's as in we probably don't so much have a structure. We Mm -hmm. have an approach, I guess, where as we've talked about or we'll talk about you know our approach to praise and worship and sort of the davidic order of worship mm-hmm. in that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise so we ensure that we begin our set list with thanksgiving and with praise we actually put mm-hmm. thanks and praise on people's lips and on our lips because we know that that's the way that we are to approach the presence of god and so that's not that's more than just a a nice psalm that we can quote as worship leaders. It's actually yes. a key uh, to access the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we always begin our set lists in that way mm-hmm. in, with praise. And then, but we, the, even though our terminology has changed, where mm-hmm. we don't, uh, we talk about praise flow and mm-hmm. worship flow. Mm-hmm. So flow being the real operative word, um, <laughs> because even like in praise, we we have flow. We might go in mm-hmm. and out of sections mm-hmm. and things like that. We might just select one song that we're going to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within 10, 15 minutes, we don't know what that whole 10, 15 minutes is going to look like for praise yeah. flow. Then we generally will open altars for prayers, go into our worship flow and again we'll have a song that we know that we're going to perhaps start with Mm -hmm. and then the rest is just open to the holy spirit's lead-in so more and more nowadays we are finding that yeah we don't necessarily have a full set list of songs we just know where we're starting with and perhaps we know uh, have an idea of where we'd like to Mm. end up yeah and I suppose important in that for us is that we exit the same way that we came in. Yes. So we yes. we want to exit that flow uh, with praise on our lips as well, with high mm. praise and vertical worship. So that's, I guess, a general overview of our praise and worship sets. And we're actually so blessed with our musicians and our singers Indeed. that we can do that. 100%. And that's why I say that last season was so important where – Really, we did follow run sheets and we used track a lot and stuff because it got us to the place where we could have this flexibility. Absolutely. And without that season of a real focus on, I guess, excellence and the craft of musicianship and vocals and all the things, as much as I don't think it's God's first priority, it did release us into this season of freedom. I'm so, so grateful for our team. And you and I are going to touch on this more in the Worship Reformation series about this Davidic order of set lists and stuff. But I've noticed, Joel, even the questions that we're asking as worship leaders or as believers are changing. Mm -hmm. We've gone from very much this focus on the horizontal leadership of people to the biblical pattern of ministering to the Lord and the priesthood of believers. Again, we'll unpack that further in a later series. But that really does mean 
that when we've raised worship leaders to be very aware of how man is responding to their leadership, that fear of man has come running through that door. Mm. And then we've had to uh, really place that on the altar and die a thousand deaths. What does dying to fear of man look like for you as a worship pastor, people who disciples, worshipers, but also someone who worships on a platform? Yeah, uh, well, I can, I guess, give you a negative example to begin with, yeah. where even recently I I probably found myself slipping into old habits. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, leading worship this particular Sunday and looking out on the congregation and I guess not seeing what I wanted to see mm-hmm. uh, in terms of people's response yeah. or just getting a feeling like the set wasn't going as well as I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever markers I was using to establish that feeling, yep. I'm not sure whether it was looking at the front row, whether it was looking at other staff members or whether it was looking yeah. throughout the congregation and just seeing people not displaying, I guess, the physical markers that we look for, yes. for our affirmation as worship leaders. Yes, and so then I remember just yeah pulling out a bag of tricks as a you know <laughs> as a worship leader that we learn you know of mm. instructing people to raise their hands or yes. you know exhorting them come on let's let's enter yeah. in or yeah. choosing to go to like a drum break and uh, getting the drummer to go for all his might and then you know going into a well known bridge and stuff like that mm. and pretty much just tried to pull out all the things all the stops. And then I remember walking off stage afterwards and just feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But like, it felt like I felt really icky in my spirit, like that I had just essentially performed some sort of worship leader circus tricks um, (laughs) in order to try and cajole people into some sort of worship response, I suppose. And I just determined then in my heart with the help of the Holy Spirit that that's not the kind of worship leader that I want to be or the kind of worship leader that I want to be, you know, because I want the Holy Spirit ultimately to, you know, here's the ultimate worship leader. And so here's the ultimate worship leader because he always points people to Jesus. And he yeah. always speaks of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He said, I'm yes. sending you the comforter because he'll speak of me and yes. he'll remind you of the things that I've said. And yeah. so the Holy Spirit is the ultimate worship leader. And so if I'm following the Holy Spirit, I ultimately will point people to Jesus as well, not point people to myself mm. and the things that I can do or point people away from what I can't do, yeah. <laughs> but rather that I'll always point people to Jesus. So there's a we do have to die a thousand deaths at times because everything yeah everything inside of us wants to go to those things that we know will elicit some sort of response yes and response isn't bad Mm -hmm. those aren't bad things but I think when we rely on them Mm -hmm. in order to get some sort of affirmation for ourselves as worship leaders Mm -hmm. that's when we've lost our way a little bit Yes, and we're actually going to talk about this in a moment, that response isn't bad when it's uh, seated in revelation. Yes. But when reaction is seated in emotionalism, which is really how we've led worship for a very long time, is make people feel good. We've even, I believe, and this is going to sound really full on, but stepped into manipulation using music. Yes. Like, well, we know because we can study the brain now, 
that the biggest chemical release is right in the lead up to that soaring bridge. Yeah. And so we write every song with a soaring bridge because that will bring people, we'll get a tear and we'll mm. get an emotional response. And so we've actually discipled a people to think that we worship God when we feel good or when we yes. feel like it. And anytime we step into manipulation, full on, it's actually witchcraft. Yeah, wow. Which is so full on. I get that I'm sounding like such an Old Testament prophet right now, but it's just Bible and God doesn't condemn us. He's like working from glory to glory and bringing us from revelation to revelation, which is pretty awesome. And I even reflect, Joel, just even you and I for years now, I've even said things when we've been planning set lists together like, oh, we just need to land it on something bankable. Yes. Like, oh, let's just go to a praise the name because that's going to work. And it came from a pure place, but actually that was all about the reaction of man and yes. not response to revelation, right? Yes, no, absolutely. And I think you said, like you said, we sound like Old Testament prophets, but I think one of the things that I pick up when I read the Old Testament prophets is that they didn't just warn people about the worship of false gods. Yes. They also warned people about the false worship of the true God. That's right. And so there were lots Very of occasions good. in Israel's history where they yep. were actually performing worship acts yes but they were doing it in the wrong way mm-hmm. they were you know there's instances in like jeremiah where where they were yeah. offering uh sacrifices to god but in what was supposed to be a burnt offering to the lord the whole offering was supposed to be consumed they were keeping the best bits for themselves yep. so in other words they were like their worship the main uh, benefactor of their worship was themselves yes and i think about how often I have made myself the main benefactor of worship as it serves me. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the false worship of the true God is just as dangerous as as worshiping false idols as well. That's so good, Joel. You know, even Phineas and Hophni, we talked about their example before, you know, they're receiving the sacrifices of the people grown up in the house of God, very familiar with the presence They keep the best portion for themselves when they're meant to be serving the people to worship God and they actually end up getting smited dead (laughs) because the Lord won't tolerate, yeah, the Lord won't tolerate us manipulating sacrifice for our own benefit. And what that can look like today, if we want to break that down, is that conversation that I've had a million times on the way home from church. You know, what I I just didn't really love worship today. I didn't get a lot out of worship Mm. today. Mm. It's as simple as that. Well, right there we've made ourselves the object of worship when it was never about us. Indeed. You know, one of my favourite, favourite Tozer quotes is, does your worship reflect more the world around you or the Christ within you? Mm. Yeah. And I think for a long time now our worship has reflected more the culture around us than the Christ within us and we really need to look at this soberly, don't we? So I'm talking here about questions. So Maybe some of the whack questions we used to ask, like mm-hmm. as in weeks ago, <laughs> <laughs> were things like, you know, what's God doing amongst the people? Right. How are the people responding? Yeah. It came from a good place. We love yes. them. We want to serve them, right? Yes. What are the better questions? Well, the question that now I ask myself when I come off stage was, did I minister to the heart of Jesus? Yeah. Was he pleased with my worship? 
And I think, yeah, just in case people are thinking that we're getting way too Old Testament with it, you know, mm-hmm. you've spoken about it on this podcast before, but John 4, when Jesus talking mm-hmm. about the true worshippers that God is looking for. Yeah. So there are true worshippers that he's looking for, which means mm-hmm. then on the flip side, there there's that's worship right. that he's not looking for. That's right. So, yeah, that's my main question now. Mm. You know, Jesus, did I please your heart today? Yes. Um, were you ministered to you know, in that in that same way as the alabaster box was broken by Mary yes. and it pleased yes. the heart of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also when that alabaster box was broken, the, the incense, the perfume of it yes. affected the whole house and everyone mm-hmm. would have left the house that day smelling of mm-hmm. that alabaster incense. And so... Uh, in the same way, when we do minister to the heart of Jesus, of course, people will get, uh, you know, caught mm. up in that and That's affected right. by that and hopefully leaving smelling like Jesus as well. Yes. Even though, you know, that story you've just raised, Judas responds with, it's wasteful. There'll yes. be those people who say this new way we're learning is wasteful mm-hmm. because they're used to what people sacrifice, which Judas was taking care of money, people sacrifice, they're used to taking it to serve themselves. So they'll often call this new way that the Lord's leading us wasteful. And then there'll be those who get caught up in the moment and and minister to the Lord himself. I think another question, Joel, that I've begun to ask is, as we ministered to the Lord, did we give people space and room to behold the beauty of Jesus? Yes. Because worship is not just expression, but it's formative and it's discipleship. Yes. So as I behold Jesus, I become more like him. So in our worship sets, are we giving people the room and the space to behold the man Jesus or are we just whacking them to and fro with transition to transition and song to song? Yeah, wow. Or just giving them the space to actually behold Jesus because it's actually the only way they can be transformed, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah. So it's been quite funny, even for you and I, watching the threshold for the weird and the wonderful grow. (laughs) (laughs) I had a pretty big inner Pharisee in some of this stuff. And I spoke to Pastor Joe about that a few weeks ago. Talk to me about what it's been like for you personally, Joel. You know, you grew up in, I guess, the remnants of Welsh revival and in specific and beautiful movements of the Lord. Tell us a bit about your background and how that's affected the weird and the wonderful today for you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, d- different things. I think I was exposed to a lot of things. I grew up Pentecostal um, in a mm-hmm. very expressive Pentecostal church in in a sense of like I remember after Super Bowl Sunday last year, a lot of people mm. were like, oh, have you ever seen anything like this? And to be honest, like I, I, I had experienced that in my childhood mm. where people you know, uh, you know, uh, speaking in their heavenly language for hours on mm-hmm. end and mm-hmm. people manifesting in different ways and services mm-hmm. that go for hours and hours and hours. So mm-hmm. in in some ways I was yeah, exposed to that from a young age, but then there are other expressions of worship that would have been very foreign to me. And so anything that you're unfamiliar with, mm-hmm. you do look at it from a distance mm-hmm. and you go, yeah. that's a bit weird or that's yep. a bit out there, or I'm not yep. sure about that particular worship yep. expression. And you start judging it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, yeah, we do label things as weird or wacky or, you know, yeah. all those kind of things. And so, yeah, it has been something of a journey for even myself to not like turn my nose up at certain expressions yeah. of it and just be willing to accept that there are so many different 
um, ways that people can express their love and affection for Jesus. And uh, we have to really guard against having that Judas oh. attitude yes. <laughs> of just yes. that's that's a complete waste. We might say it's a complete waste of time, a complete waste of emotions or energy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've had to really come in low a lot of times. Yes. And yes. I think as well, I'm just learning to like now the things that I would have called weird and wacky in the past, I'm like, let's have more yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm exactly. like champion in it now because yeah, I mean, I've come so far in spontaneous songs and things like that. I used to like be like, oh, that's so awkward and weird. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, let's get after it. So, so yeah, that's just the grace of God. Yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? And I think one of the convictions that I live from is Holy Spirit's part of Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is returning for the bride. Mm-hmm. And we individualize our salvation all the time. Like, oh, Jesus is returning for Joel. And he is, but he's returning to Joel, who's part of the bride. Yes. He's returning to Stacy, who's part of the bride. He's returning to a corporate entity that's filled with individuals. And so, Holy Spirit will never work in a way in a service. Yes. That would in any way violate the union between bride and bridegroom. Yes. And this has been a really good thing that I've learnt and learnt to reflect on is that if there's something happening and I'm feeling that sense of discomfort, which actually doesn't mean it's wrong, mm-hmm. the kinds of questions I'm asking is what character aspect of God is this portraying right now to his people? Yes. And what I would have called weird and shut down 12 months ago is often childlike. Mm-mm. and is often freedom and is often healing and is often purity and is often unashamed yes. and is often free of the fear of man. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good way to think about it. Like Holy Spirit's never going to come into a meeting and move in a way that would distract the bride and the bridegroom from union. Yes, He will only work in a way that's going to enhance that connection and build that beautiful intimacy. So I found that super helpful. Yeah, that's really good. I think as well, you're talking about what questions that we ask as well. Yeah. And one of the questions that you and I ask, I can't remember again, if we've talked about this on another episode, yeah. but but one of the questions that we ask is, does it exist in heaven? Yes. So when we're making decisions about what yeah. kind of worship expressions that we're bringing into our corporate gatherings, that's right. Because we are talking, I guess, specifically about corporate gatherings. It's like, does this exist in heaven? Because mm-hmm. that should be our, you know, mm. yeah. If it exists in heaven, then it's good. It's holy, and it's mm. uh, it's acceptable worship. And so those, that's another question that we ask ourselves as well. Oh, listen to this one, Joel. I was talking to one of our young worship leaders this morning and I was like, what? He was saying, so I've begun to think about, based on what we're talking about, um, would I sing that song in heaven? Mm-hmm. So like when I'm in heaven, am I going to sing that song about I need my healing and I need your fire and I need this or I need that? Because that's helping him think about what are the throne room inner court songs are we bringing? Yep. Will I sing that in heaven? Wow. And if I wouldn't sing it in heaven, it's not an inner court song. Mm-hmm. I was like, hang on a second. And I got out a pen because <laughs> I was like, this is so brilliant because that's such a good question to ask. There's nothing wrong. You know, Jesus says, ask. 
Yes. Ask and you will receive. Yep. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all our songs are, yeah. we're not preparing for worship in eternity. Right. And we're not bringing heaven to earth and kingdom to earth, which is actually what Jesus wants us to do. Mm. I thought that was such a good question. Really good question, right? Uh, yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like there will be prayers that we pray now that we won't pray in heaven. There'll be songs that, that, that's right. that we yeah. Yeah, ask for now. Yeah. We won't sing in heaven. And I think as well, like if I can speak to the to the guys for a moment who might mm. be listening, because I think for me, one of the things that I've journeyed uh, as well in my worship is, you know, we talk about the bride of Christ, and for yes. guys sometimes that can yes. be a bit of a hard, a bit of a head flip, you know, like in terms of like seeing myself as part of the bride. Yes, and so yep. I think even sometimes there's this sort of standoffishness even with guys in worship right. because Good. we sing a lot of like love songs, talk about yep. devotion, we talk about adoring him, about yep. his beautiful face and gazing into his eyes mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there's there's often been this sort of joke and humor amongst people that like why don't guys talk about like sitting down with Jesus and watching the game and all this sort of stuff and um because that'll be appeal more to the guys but for me I think that again when you behold him mm. when you sit and behold him you become you more like him you transform into his image and then it's it becomes such a natural thing mm. to sing of his beauty and yes. to sing songs of adoration. And I think as guys, we need to uh, be willing to go on that journey as well. That's and, so good, John. And look at him and adore him. I'm so glad you've said that. And again, we're talking about being revelation-based, not reaction. Yes. Let's look at 2 Samuel 6 together. Such a good passage. Mm-hmm. And we're going to read the story of David, who was a man who actually, there were a lot of expectations on him at this stage, he's king lot of expectations upon him for a certain kind of performance as a king and things he should and shouldn't do. And we're going to read in this passage that even his wife had a set of performance expectations that she expected a king to look like. Mm -hmm. So let's read together from chapter 6, verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed, which means gave his generations heaps of kids, Obed-Edom and all his household. I wanted us to start there today, Joel, and pause for a second because there's a key here in this passage that fear of God is deliverance from fear of man. 
And so we're talking here about David actually felt the fear of God that day. Mm. And you and I love the passage of Exodus 19, which talks about God coming in this corporate visitation. There's earthquake, there's fire, there's smoke, there's the sound of his voice. And Moses and the people feel a fear because of the way the Lord is presenting himself. The Lord is presenting himself in fearful ways in these days. And we face the decision that Moses and the Israelites faced. So Moses pressed into the fear of God, whereas the others were so afraid. They said, Moses, you go, we'll stay back here. But then because they were made to worship, while Moses went and worshipped God face to face, they created something else to worship. Mm. So when we stay at a distance because we receive fear of the Lord incorrectly, we end up creating idols to worship. And Moses actually says to the people, but the fear of God's meant not meant to keep you at a distance. It's meant to help you be holy. And what God was doing here, because David was bringing the ark, carrying the presence in a way that the Philistines carried the ark. In other words, he was looking at the principles of the culture of the world wow. and applying it to presence. Yeah, wow. So you think about where worship is at today. Yes. In our lives. And in the nation, we have taken principles from the Philistines Mm -hmm. and applied it to carrying and hosting the presence. Yep. And so God is coming in this this season. The fear of the Lord is returning to deliver us from the fear of man. And it's not the same, right? This fear is reverent awe. Mm -hmm. Like God is, it's not to punish us or to terrify us or to keep us at a distance. It's grace to help us be holy. Yep. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like you can see here, like the the intention of God was to bless. Because yes. as soon as the ark, the presence found a rest in place, mm-hmm. the result was blessing. Yes. And I think that because what they were essentially doing was finding shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, they were finding an easier way to yes. get the presence from A to B. And I think that the way that I've described it to our team uh even this year is that. You can't cart what you're called to carry. Yep. And I good. think for us, what we learned by osmosis or just by what had worked in previous seasons yep. was that we try to cart the presence in a safe four song sandwich. Yep. And so we were like, we know how to get from A to B. If we yep. do these songs, we'll be able to get the presence, the arc from here to there. And that's so that right. was what we knew how to do. And again, like you say, whether that's because we've learned it from external sources about how to react, how to manipulate or, you know, just do what we do. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like, yes, this fear of the Lord is breaking this off of us. Yes. But his intention is not that we'd be fearful. It's and so distant. that we can find, yeah, so that we can find the blessing that he He just desires to pour out. Yes, and so we can come close, like has always been the intention, talked about that in other episodes, and then be transformed. Because Moses went in and he came out transformed, Mm -hmm. became like God, became like risen Christ, which Revelation 1 talks about, that he was like this pure, intense light. Moses went in and he came out like a pure, intense light that confronted people. Mm -hmm. So let's jump down to verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. So he's bringing it back in, giving it another go and doing it the right way. 
and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Oh, I so want to talk about the tent and the tabernacle, but we're going to do (laughs) a whole other episode on that. Oh, my gosh. Guys, get ready. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Again, I just want to go off right here. I'm (laughs) popping because David's offering burnt offerings. He's not a Levite, Joel. What? Okay, Stacey, keep it in the can. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he, again, not a priest, not a Levite, blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, portion of meat, cake of raisins for you and a cake of raisins for you. (laughs) Then all the people departed. Yeah, you get a cart. (laughs) You get raisins. You get meat. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, interesting that it calls her that, not the wife of David, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honour. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You know, Joel, here where it talks about Michal's like, oh, you're vulgar in front of the female servants. She was actually accusing him of putting on a performance to gain yes. their favour. Yeah, right. So because she's at a distance, at a window, and described here as the daughter of Saul, and Scripture does that because it's saying she is still aligned with her father's ways, mm-hmm. the spirit departed from and who couldn't break free of fear of man and was impatient. She is looking through the filter of performance at worship, yeah. extravagant, beautiful worship that had passed through the gates of praise and thanksgiving They're in this beautiful moment of worshipping the Lord. And just like Judas, the way she sees it is that's vulgar. That's a waste. And she never has a child to the day of her death. And we don't know if that's because David never was intimate with her again because of the way she spoke to him. Most commentators would say she was naturally barren because she was spiritually barren. Mm. So much in that little passage isn't there. Would you like to say anything about that? wonderful passage of David where he's free of fear of man, got no performance, even though everyone expected him to. Yeah, I think that you sort of alluded to it there of just the way David positioned himself. Yes, He was crowned king, but yet he recognized what God's intention for the people of Israel was all along, that God would be king, that they wouldn't be like the other nations and have an earthly king, but he would be king and they would be a priesthood of people. Um, And so David, it's even that interesting that although Michal calls him the king of Israel, he says Mm. that God appointed me to be prince over Israel. So he's not even willing to like say, this is who I am. I'm the king of Israel. He's like, no, I'm not even going to put myself in that position. I'm going to be prince. I'm going to be priest. And I'm going to operate as a priest in this Mm -hmm. uh, moment as well. So it shows so much about the heart of David and why he was a man after God's own heart. It's because he, what he desire or his desires were aligned with God's desires. Um, And that's why his worship was so acceptable as well. 
Yeah, and it's beautiful in that passage also. There's so much in it that David's so caught up in ministering to the Lord because he's got this revelation of I'm not a Levite but I'm a priest. Mm. God always wanted everybody to be a priest like you've just said. So he sees his role as a priest before any other title. So he's ministering to the Lord and then all these other people are caught up in it with him. Yes. All these other people are dancing and singing and worshipping the Lord with him. It's beautiful. Mm. So, Joel, if worship in its simplest form from mankind's perspective and Granddaddy Ray Hughes defines it this way, is a revelation from God or of Mm. God and response from man, then and if the opposite of that, or maybe the tension of that is reaction that's grounded in flesh. So when my flesh is satiated, I like the lights, I like the song, it's my favorite worship leader, I've got all the feels, so then I can do all the motions of worship but have no heart involvement. If we lead for emotional reaction rather than give opportunity for revelation and invite response, what do we have to maintain to keep that machine moving? We did it for years. Yeah, yeah. I think well, like we we often say anything that's birthed in the flesh has to be maintained by the yeah. flesh. Yeah. So if we're going out of fle- if we're going after fleshly results and res- and reactions, we're going to have to do things like we've already yes. said the tips and the tricks and all the yeah. things that we've learned in our master classes or taught in our yeah. master classes over yeah. the years. Yeah. Um and I've I've definitely done that, taught that myself. Yeah. Even in coaching other worship leaders. Yeah, me too. That we have to keep doing that. Yeah. And honestly, it's quite tiresome. And I it's think exhausting. what we end up we we end up doing is we we do end up producing a whole bunch of mickles yeah. who are observing from a distance mm-hmm. and who are looking for a certain kind of performance. And inadvertently, we ourselves become idolaters and we produce more idolaters in our own image as well. Mm -hmm. As you said, we're created to worship. And I think probably one of the traps that we've fallen into is that we have worshipped worship. Yeah. And we've worshipped the trappings of it all. And so... Our little golden calf. (laughs) Exactly, right? And Mm -hmm. so we've worshipped our hit songs. We've worshipped our favourite worship leaders or you know, musicians and and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think those are the things that we end up having to maintain when we are constantly going after reaction. Yeah, so true. And whatever we do to get people, the tips and tricks and all the bag of tricks we use to get people is what we'll have to do to keep them. So then Mm. when you go through a metamorphosis like this, Mm -hmm. it can be difficult for people when they come to church because they're like, I'm not getting served well anymore. Right. So, you know, we've had to do things like we're, we're trying to teach team, like as in teach biblically, teach church. You know, I think of she would die from this example, but it's just a visible one everyone knows. The beautiful mama of Australian worship, Darlene, that season where, you know, all the women walked around with the same jackets, the same outfits. Everybody can sing the lead-in lines off all the Hillsong albums, even the guys, right? And that is just such the perfect picture never would be her intention. I mean, she hates that stuff, but that we beheld a worship leader and the worship more than we beheld Jesus and we became the image of a woman or the image of a prominent worship leading man rather than transformed into the image of Christ himself. And we actually create, when we disciple people that way through worship, because worship is discipleship, uh, we create followers 
we foster followers who are very difficult to lead and disciple because you never really get to the root of what's going on in their heart because you've sown performance and you're reaping a performer. Mm-hmm. And so they've got all these masks on with you. You can never get to the real issues of the heart. And also because they need your daily bread, they need your hunger, yes. they need your fire. Whereas I think one of the things we're trying to learn that's been staring us in the face in the Bible the whole time, and Lord, I'm so sorry we've missed it for so long, is rather than a strategy or a program, the most effective way to disciple people, whether that be one-on-one through our preaching or through our worship, is to teach them, create well-worn pathways and invite them to behold Jesus. Yeah. And then they're transformed. Yeah. That means you've got to lay on the altar because this means the day of celebrities is dead. Mm. (laughs) The day of the celebrity worship leader on the front of an album, that's so done. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yeah, and I think as well, like I think we've experienced it when we're when you're having to rely on these things all the time, it gets really tiresome. Yes. We get worn out. Yeah. Because you feel like you're just having to keep up there, getting up there and doing the circus tricks. <laughs> you know, yeah. get up there again and do it another time. Get up for another service and mm-hmm. and do it another time. And I was reading recently in Malachi chapter one where God is speaking to the priests, the Levites, and they're complaining to God about what their actual calling and duty was. And they go, Mm -hmm. they end up going, what a wearisome thing this is (laughs) about their tasks to come and offer sacrifices and offerings before the Lord and minister to the Lord. They're going, what a wearisome thing this is. (laughs) And the amount of times that I have uttered that Mm -hmm. in my heart or even verbally, Mm -hmm that, oh, I'm so tired of this or this, I can't do it again. And it's because I've relied on those methods. And so I think when we talk even about burnout, it's so often because we're actually burnt out on those things and because we haven't stoked the fire or we've let the fire go out and we keep having to relight it each and every time. Yes. And so I think that's probably a, a more accurate representation of what burnout actually is. So good. I actually love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 11, 28 mm-hmm. to 30, because he says, are any of you burnt out on religion? Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. you're talking about, a bunch of religious rituals and practices yeah. that fuels brokenness in us so we keep on coming back and and we add our dysfunction to what's already dysfunctional. Yes. And then he says to come away with me, take a true rest, which is yes. really just behold. Yep. Learn how to behold. And then you will achieve all you've been trying to do in your own works, in your own strength. <laughs> so oh, gosh. I wish I'd discovered this a long time ago. Indeed. So performance produces professionals, but presence produces Christ-likeness. I would hate for listeners today to hear that we've thrown excellence or wanting to worship the Lord well out the window. So I'd love it if you could share a little bit about your journey in the last 12 months as there's been maybe less of a reflection, uh, less of a our intention being perfection and perfect set lists and amazing transitions, although there are times for those, and it's more been about ministering to the Lord and yet still having this internal motivation to actually bring our best to the Lord. What's that been like for you? 
yeah, it's it's kind of like you can just ever so slightly get off track and a small degree of separation can lead to huge yes. uh, deviations over time. Yeah, And so I think when we focus on excellence, like God does things excellence. The Bible says that his name is excellent. Yes. And he only does excellent things. So mm-hmm. excellence is in his character. But when we make excellence the thing and what yes. we're aiming for, then again, it's another, it can become another idol. And so I think that perfectionism is based in the fear of man. That's right. It's I need to do this. Otherwise, people will perceive me in a different way or I won't yeah. be good enough or I need yeah. to even just do this for my own self, my own mm-hmm. self, sense of self-worth. Yeah. Whereas we, we, uh, we desire excellence because of his excellency. Um, yes. And I think that excellence enables us to serve well. Um, yes. Again, our friend Peter Mattis, one of the things that he talked to us about is the idea of worship leaders being the waiter at the table when you go to mm. a restaurant. And when you go to a restaurant, this happened with our family recently, we were out for Beck's birthday and we had a, a very exuberant waiter who's really lovely, but clearly kind of wanted to make himself part of our family for that evening. And uh, <laughs> we were trying to like celebrate Beck and focus on her and everything like that. But I felt that every time he came to the table, it was all about him. Right. And so often as worship leaders, we do that as well, right? Yeah. We make it all about us. Whereas mm-hmm. the people gathering there, they're not gathering to look at us or to be with us yeah. as worship leaders. We're supposed yeah. to point them to Jesus. And so yeah. that we're supposed to get out of the way and just prepare and a table visible. for them, yep. you're right? And to serve them well in that way by pointing people to the main purpose of why they're there. Yes. Excellence is making sure that the table isn't wobbly. Yeah, good. It's uh it's it's making sure that things don't fall off and cause again more distraction yes. from the person and the beauty of Jesus. And so so that's again more how I I look at excellence now. I think everything that I've uh, I've you know got to do over the years and behind the scenes in sitting in my craft uh, and worshiping to the Lord in my own time enables then me to operate in a freedom in a corporate setting now where we can flow with the Holy Spirit in a way that doesn't cause distraction. And that doesn't mean that we don't have plenty of worship fails worthy um, moments. Yeah, but, uh, so we have those moments for sure, but but we don't make those the be all and end all. Yeah, it's interesting. Like every analogy falls over somewhere, every for metaphor. Sure. But, you know, this wobbly table, don't want things falling off and we've got this cart it represents God's presence and it's where they step in and grab it. And it's just, it is the Lord giving us a picture of people trying to control presence. Yes. And I think that being driven by excellence and excellence being the goal is us, in a sense, trying to control presence. It comes from a good place, but it's just a few degrees off. Mm. So, Joel, I just, I guess I want to wrap this episode up by saying we simply won't be able to follow Holy Spirit effectively whilst we're bound by fear of man. It's actually impossible because we soon face a choice. And too many times I know that I chose performance and fear of man, but I'm more awake to this today than I ever have been before, but it's still a work in progress. I've had 25 plus years of leading a certain way. Like it's a lot to unlearn. I'm learning not even to worship lead again. I'm actually learning to worship again. Wow. 
and it's affecting everything. So for those who are listening today and are like, whoa, that's a lot, Mm. I just... I really don't want anyone to hear judgment or like we've arrived or we've found the secret sauce because we fully have not. Mm. And we're trying to figure this out as we go. We're trying to follow the Lord. I'm actually so grateful for every season we've been in. I find such joy in being led in worship by other worship leaders in different churches. And oh, there's my revival dog. And all the beautiful things. So I just, I want people to hear us including them in a conversation, not preaching conclusions at them. Yes, so true. So, Joel, could I ask you to pray for people as we finish today? (laughs) There's a prayer. (laughs) I think Leo's jumping in already. (laughs) Go for it. Pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. I thank you that no matter where we are at, at today, you have good things in store for us and you are longing for us to draw closer to yourself. You're longing for us to to see another aspect of your beauty and your holiness and your goodness today. And so, Lord, I pray even as people might be listening to this, worship leaders, musicians, singers, production personnel, Lord, who um, might be just trying to take this all in and trying to perhaps unravel and undo a whole bunch of systems and mindsets and paradigms that have been inbuilt within us for years. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace and your kindness. I thank you that as we open your word and behold you, uh, that's where our transformation lies. Our transformation, uh, oh God, is not in in podcasts and it's not in it's not in even uh, learning uh, more skills, Lord, but it's found in your word and it's found in the beauty of your face and in the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that in everything that has been said today, Lord, what it will do will point people to you back to looking into your face. And so I pray that each listener under the sound of my voice right now would take this and would take it to the word and take it to you and ask for more revelation uh, that we can respond to. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to break the fear of man off of our lives. Uh, let it die. And, and Lord, let the fear of God take control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Joel. You're back in a few weeks. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And so grateful. Listeners, do all the things. It helps. Love ya. Talk to you soon. 